Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 254, being recorded on Thursday, February 18th, 2021. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Serial listeners. Well, Jason, today is a big day for science nerds. Uh, we saw the Perseverance rover land on Mars with an interplanetary helicopter. How cool is that? That is the coolest part. I was super excited. I actually uh, put a note on my calendar and stopped working and uh, watched the landing. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I didn't watch it. Uh, how much could you see? Um, well, they had like a pretty detailed animation for the whole thing. Like, like you, you know, they don't have cameras of the rover in the air, but they, but they, they show like a three D animation of it. You know, as it checks through all these detailed milestones. And then pretty quickly after um, they confirmed it had touchdown, you got the first uh, actual photo from from the rover, and there was still like dust everywhere from the landing. So it's 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 pretty amazing to think that like we can launch shoot a drone 250 million miles away and land it on a planet. That's like yeah, yeah. Soon Elon's gonna be landing people there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know he's he's uh, close on their heels. Uh, my favorite part though was the news guy. Like after they did their whole recap, he's like, um, uh, and I feel compelled to remind people this actually is rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So it's very cool. I feel like I remember some of our very first podcasts uh, were like early, in, you know, as as um, SpaceX was knocking off all these milestones, and we were we were talking about those a lot at the beginning of the podcast and. Five years later, we're yeah. still doing it. Yeah. Now, every other day, they're shooting off a, a mission at, at, at SpaceX. It's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's become totally routine. I don't know. Uh, uh, you watch Westworld, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's actually scenes in Westworld where, like, just in the background, they have SpaceX-style rockets, like, landing. <laughs> because it's so routine. You know, they, they envision it being so routine. It's cute. Yeah. Very cool. But even bigger than that, uh, I know one of your favorite days of the year is when the U.S. Department data of Commerce data comes out. So yesterday, uh, I'm sure you were up and ready and you had all your Tableau and your data scientists lined up. Um, walk us through some of the data that came out yesterday. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, I wish I could deny it, but I, I, I kind of am super excited to get up on the mornings when this data comes out because I, uh, as, you're, as you're mocking me, I did set up a bunch of automation over over the the winter break and now i get to use it and knock on wood two months in a row it hasn't broken um you wouldn't be retail geek if you didn't exactly you can't be science geek you can't be space geek and retail geek i I have to to keep keep my creds um so what came out yesterday is uh a, a reminder for our listeners the january advanced monthly sales data so this is a a simpler snapshot of what happened in January. And then we got the full data set for December. Um, And so the reason that that's particularly uh, exciting is that now lets us roll up 
the the complete 2020 year and kind of look back to the whole year. So so we got our our first uh, advanced look at what January is going to look like. Uh, we got a detailed look at at December and the whole year for 2020. Um, and then there there is another data product that comes out quarterly. That's the e-commerce specific slice, and that actually comes out tomorrow morning. Um, but uh, 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 based on all the data we already have, I'm pretty confident I already know what it's going to say. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about it. Um, but so let's start with January. Uh, and it's interesting because my take on January was different than a lot of the media coverage in January. So so top line. Year over year, this January sales were up 10.8% versus last year. Um, so that's a that's a very healthy increase. Um, the uh, the uh, one of the sectors in that data is non-store data, which is kind of a the closest thing in the advanced data we have to to e-commerce, and that was up 28.7%. So. So if you look at this January versus last January, very robust. Again, last January wasn't impacted by COVID in any way. So we're comparing a, a you know, post-COVID with pre-COVID. Um, but what, what got a lot of uh, media attention was the, uh, that the January sales were 5.1% bigger than December. So not year over year, month over month. And the reason people are excited about that is because uh, – December sales were lower than November's and November's were lower than October. So you kind of had two months of negative growth looking on a month by month basis. And so this, this 5.1% increase kind of reversed that monthly trend. And a lot of the analysts had predicted that we might grow 1.2%. And so 5.1% was a pretty big beat. Um, And so people were kind of giddy about that. Like, Oh, it looks like we're, we're coming out of the, the doldrums a little bit. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, one of the big reasons is there was some economic stimulus that went out early in January and, uh, almost all the retailers I work with, like you, you can see to the day when customers start getting that, that stimulus, it's a very obvious spike. And so that helped help January for a bunch of retailers. Um, but I would also point out this month over month data, is not that important or valid. And there's a bunch of systemic reasons why months aren't the same. Um, and retail has a bunch of tent poles. So I generally am a lot more interested from a trend standpoint in the year over year and year over year. It was this January was a stellar month. Um, but I will say uh, there, there were a couple outliers in this January data department stores um, were up. 23.5% from December. So month over month, department stores had their first increase in about 15 years. Um, and clothing, which would, has been decimated the last year, uh, was up 5%. Um, but again, to me, uh, month over month uh, trends aren't, aren't very relevant, and especially in the middle of a holiday period. And uh, um, if you if you look at the year over year trends, both those categories were still down from last January. So department stores are down three percent from last January, and clothing was down eleven percent from from last January. Both of those are slower rates of decline than we saw for most of last year. So it's it, it is a a silver lining, but you still wouldn't want to be in either of those categories. If we just look at retail sales, you know the headlines I saw on the financial sites were you know. 
stunning retail sales, 5.1% versus 1.2 estimate. Like why was, why was that estimate so off? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what goes into, uh, to the, the department of commerce doesn't make an estimate. No, it's not. And, and further, it's not like as rigorous as like, uh, stock, uh, uh, public company earning, uh, EPS estimates, for example. Like, I, I don't think there's a, like a, an industry standard estimate. Um, what, what you do have, you know, again, think about this December had a weirder shape than ever before. It, it was way more e-commerce centric December. And, uh, all of those sales were front loaded in the first half of the month because of ship again in the second half of the month. So you, so December was in, in, uh, you know, large part was half a month. And so we, January was a full month with economic stimulus dollars versus December. Um, and you also had all these like, you know, COVID reasons that sales were slower in December, like the cases were peaking, um, people weren't traveling to their family, et cetera, et cetera. So for all of those reasons, it's not surprising to me at all that January was way better than December. But to me, a more valid, you know, perspective is what was this January versus last January? Cause that's more apples to apples. Yeah. Um, but I'll be honest, I'm was more interested in, in looking at the 2020 data in aggregate because, um, you know, this was, a uh, a very unique year and it's interesting to see how it played out. You and I had all these debates early in the year. Is it a, v-shaped recovery you know what would happen all these things you know people in april were writing these doomsday predictions about how far down retail was going to be in 2020 and and things like that so it's interesting to see the real data so for all of 2020 retail sold 5.6 trillion dollars in sales which is an all-time record by the way like that's the 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 highest retail sales in the u.s have ever been um that's 27% of the GDP, which is a little bigger share than it normally is. It normally is around 25% of the GDP is retail. Um, so that's huge. GDP to go down this year. Um, I think people expected that because of COVID. Uh, so that growth rate is 3.4%. So retail grew at 3.4%. And you, you could say, hey, Jason, is 3.4% good? Well, 2019 retail grew 3.5%. So it's pretty typical. It's like we normal years, we expect to be in that three to 4% range. When we fall below three, we call it a down year. And, you know, we haven't seen very many years in recent history that were above four. So, so it's right in the sweet spot of typical growth that you would expect if there was no COVID, um, which is super interesting to me. Um, so, you know, but there's a bunch of micro trends in that top line. And, and the biggest trend is uh, that a way bigger chunk of those sales were e-commerce than usual. Um, so so e-commerce grew 25.3% for the year. Um, Yay. Yeah, which a normal year for e-commerce, like 2019, we grew 12.9%. So, mm -hmm. um, so almost. Double. Yeah, so it's basically two years of growth in a year. Um some, wait, I thought it was five years of ten. growth in a McKinsey wait, said ten. Ten now it's ten years. Yeah, yeah, they lied. Um, why, don't, why don't you sidebar this so that everyone is on the same page? So, yeah. what what happened with that? So I know McKinsey put it out and it's somehow wrong. Yeah, um, well, did, and I, did they 
Did they blow the year over year aspect or what? No. Where did they do so, the math? So from? they did a couple, A, like they were a roll up of a bunch of other data sources, right? So they took the same U.S. Department of Commerce data we're talking about, but then they, they took some estimates from Bank of America and, and a different definition of retail from Forrester. And then they, they did this thing that we used to do in e-commerce all the time. They said, Hey, let's not talk about all of retail. Because nobody buys food online, so grocery and restaurants shouldn't shouldn't be in that number. And nobody buys cars online, so let's take cars out and let's invent this artificial definition of core retail and call it, you know, growth of core retail. Um, so, so a there's no way to check that because there are no actual numbers for that that arbitrary definition. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure if someone from McKinsey were on the show right now, they'd be saying, hey, Jason, it was higher than your 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 25 percent. Um, but uh, I would also point out that the biggest growth in e-commerce were all those things that they took out. Right. Like, like tons of people were buying <laughs> buying food online. Tons of people were buying cars online. Um, so I, I feel like those old those old things of saying like, hey, there's some categories of, of retail that don't qualify for e-commerce is is no longer valid. Um, but if we use this nice normalized data from U.S. Department of Commerce, we grew 25%, normal years 13%. So that, um, is, is, uh, awesome. If you, if you kind of think about the shape of the year, last year, 12.9%, April peaked at 18.4%, and then we finished the year at 15.7%, right? So, um, in terms of what percentage of retail, the uh is uh e-commerce. So it never spiked up to the 33% that McKinsey predicted in their 10 years of progress. Um but there are certain categories which probably did have have 5 or 10 years. Grocery probably it you know did hit our 5-year forecast, but overall e-commerce hit like our 2-year forecast. So it it was a doubling not a 10xing. Um and for sure in that those retail sales, you had clear winners and losers. We've talked about this on a bunch of shows, but um, the you know if you were a grocery store or a sporting goods store or a home hardware store, you had a great year because of COVID. And if you were a department store or an apparel store or a gas station, you had a really crappy year because of COVID. Um, and one of the biggest trends is this whole shift from services to products, right? So nobody spent money on travel, and instead they bought uh, furniture and stuff for their house. Um, and mostly, nobody went to restaurants, and instead they bought more food from grocery stores. And so those that trend had the effect of pouring extra dollars into retail, um, and for sure it goosed e-commerce in those categories, if you if you think specifically around food, 2019 food was a 50-50 split between restaurants and and uh, grocery stores. At the peak of COVID, it was like 70-30 that we were spending on on uh, grocery and it ended up about 60-40. Um so that's an extra 200 billion dollars, 190 billion dollars in grocery store sales as a result of people going to restaurants less. Restaurant as a whole industry were way down. We've talked about that a lot, but uh, full service restaurants in particular were totally clean. They were down like 92%. So the whole ind- restaurant industry was down 15% because, you know, the Pizza Huts of the world and the 
the uh, McDonald's of the world like could actually do pretty well with drive through and home delivery. Um, but the full service sit down restaurants just got obliterated. Um, and then the last thing that I, I will tell you, I still haven't totally figured out and surprised me is if you said, Hey, Jason, based on all those trends, um, would home furnishing stores be winners or losers in COVID? I would have said, Oh man, they're a winner because instead of going on vacation, I remodeled my house and I bought new dishes and new sheets. And I did all these things from, from William Sonoma and, and, uh, uh, you know, lamps plus and all those stores. And I would have also said that because we were stuck at home and there was a new video game launch that electronic stores would have been way up and, Two categories that were down for the year were home furnishings and electronics, which is interesting to me and a little surprising. It is because uh, Wayfair has really ticked up nicely. Yeah, there are there are like and Best Buy would say they were up, right? So who? So yeah. where's the electronics that's down to offset Best Buy being up? And William Sonoma was up. So what's the home furnishings that's down to offset that? I it, uh, yeah. it's a little confusing to me in the. Overall scheme of things, these are not categories that are huge numbers. So, you know, uh, like there, you know, uh, it would it, it it's totally possible for those numbers to be skewed, or maybe even like not have a huge sample size in the U.S. Department of Commerce survey data. Yeah, and there could be folks that only have physical stores that uh, you know were not essential that haven't opened yet still or something. Yeah, yeah, I, that, I'm that certain that that is a big, big part of it. Is yeah. they were more disrupted. Yeah, interesting. Well, cool. Um, anything else? So, uh, in a second, I want to tie that back to the Amazon numbers. But were there any? How do we? So, if we think about that, you know, that uh, I guess it was 25. percent So the growth, the e-commerce growth, ends up being what again? 25.3 percent. That was the growth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think of that as a new baseline. Amazon grew like. 40 and change, right? Like 46, 47. Oh, that was just Q4 number. Uh, you're, that's an, the 25 is an annual number, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you think Amazon grew 43, 39, 40, so you could, you know, yeah. call it 40, 41%. Yep. So they over indexed. Yeah. Um, eBay was a little bit under. Um, and then we'll talk about Shopify in a little bit, but they were way over that. Yeah. Do you, if, Walmart was over. So it's one of these things where everyone was over except eBay again. How is that possible? Yeah. The math generally doesn't work out, right? Like, I, yeah. so the answer is I, I don't know. Like, for the f last two quarters, Q2 and Q3, Amazon was about exactly the same as the industry average. Um, so they, they mirrored this Department of Commerce data really closely. Like Q, Q2, Department of Commerce grew 40, uh, 45%, Amazon 43 Q3, Department of Commerce grew 37 Amazon grew 39 So that that correlation actually gives me confidence in the numbers, to be honest. Um, the But almost everyone else, per your point, wildly outperformed those. You know, Williams-Sonoma was up 50%. Uh, uh, you know, Walmart was up like 80 to 100%. Home Depot was up 80 to 100%. Target was up like a hundred and uh two hundred hundred and fifty to two hundred percent. Uh BJ's, Albertsons, Best Buy were well over two hundred percent. So you look at all those big big companies that are up way more than the industry average, and you're like, man, a bunch of small companies must have really gotten cream for this to be true. Um, and I do think that is partially true. Um, I think 
COVID was disproportionately hurt, hurt smaller retailers. Um, but it also underscores that there is not a terrific measurement methodology for this e-commerce data. And uh, the U.S. Department of Commerce guys work really hard to, to get this number accurate, but they're they're dependent on the accuracy of these surveys that retailers fill out and send to them. And I, I just I don't have great confidence that retailers fill them out with with ultra care. Well, very cool. Um, did uh, your automated cloud system uh, survive all this thinking? It did. It did. It worked really well. I found it really useful and it generated a, a bunch of what I think are reasonably attractive visualizations. And so I'll put a link in the show notes, uh, but I'll, I'll publish a Forbes article tomorrow recapping all this data with some charts in case anyone wants to see them. Very cool. Cannot wait. Now I'm going to be all giddy tomorrow waiting for that to show up. Nice. <laughs> well, Jason, it would not be a Jason and Scott show without some Amazon news. Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. This was a this was a weird week in that there was not very much Amazon news, and in fact, this one was really interesting. So I think what happened here is there's a startup in Australia that has a Shopify competitor, and that company is called Sells, S E L Z, and I. Um, I first heard about this because I saw a conversation. I forget where I saw this, one of the socials and people were like, Hey, did Amazon buy sales? And, um, what started this is the founder just kind of put a, or, or someone put a nonchalant kind of like post. And I can't remember if it was like on their blog or their about me page, but it basically said, Hey, we're going to be, uh, you know, shutting down soon or, or, you know, Amazon has bought us. We're not accepting new customers. I think that's what it said. Um, so, so it was really weird because it was super under the radar. Um, and then, um, you know, I posted it because I thought it was interesting. I thought the conversation we'll have in a second was, was the interesting part of it. And then, uh, Del Rey, Jason Del Rey chased it down and, and got verification from Amazon that it, it was true that they have acquired the company. Um, then there was a big online kerfuffle around, you know, some folks were saying, oh, it's just an aqua hire thing. What is it? And what I think is interesting is, you know, so we saw in the news probably like, what was it, two months ago that Bezos was really engaged in Amazon and spending a lot of time thinking about what they do about Shopify. Um, so, but then now he's effectively kind of kicked himself upstairs. Well, that, you know, a lot of people are kind of like, oh, that must mean it's not a priority. But, but you know, I don't think that's right. I, I think Amazon's watching these guys really closely and they want to take their legs out and, you know, the the interesting thing, it's a fun thought experiment for me to think, all right, if you had Amazon's resources, and that's the fun part of it, right? <laughs> so, so you know, yeah. some, someone... I would launch know, a space program. Oh, wait. <laughs> Amazon hires Jason and Scott, and they give us a mission of like, you know, how do we take out, you know, or, or how do we slow the growth of Shopify or, or you know, um, you know, let's say they've identified them as a, as a, a threat, which I think is a valid assumption. You know, what do you do there? And... So it's really interesting, and you know, I think um, I think they're going to take this pretty seriously, and I think they're going to go buy a bunch of things. One school of thought would be you could, you know, uh, you and I have talked about it on the show a, a big trend. Kind of a lot of people think the next generation of these platforms is uh, going to be more headless, so so microservices, right? 
So microservices would be a nice offering inside of AWS. If you look at AWS, they've got offerings for all kinds of crazy stuff from, you know, game development to tons of machine learning and I don't know, everything you can imagine now. So imagine they could build a whole e-commerce stack inside of AWS that would be these microservices as an offering. I think that's going to be part of the strategy. Um, I think the sales company, the sales company was known for making it very easy for people that had started their e-commerce adventures on marketplaces to then open a store. And I think that's really interesting to me because that would be another hook, right? So if you think about it, Amazon, I think they just closed this now. Don't they have like 2 million sellers? Is that a number or is it four? I think 2 million US for globally. I think you're, um, that's the order of magnitude, yep. Yeah, so that's, I don't know if that's the exact right number. And then Shopify is at like 300,000, somewhere in there. Sorry. Right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so then, you know, there's more, there's more people that could set up stores on Shopify than have. And one strategy would be so if you had, if you worked at Amazon and you had unlimited resources, basically, you you don't have to choose your strategy. You can just choose them all, right? So, so normally in business, I've had to like really choose a strategy with a competitor and really go at it. So, so you typically, you know, kind of in a military strategy lingo, you, you can like go head on at them, like you know, battle them feature for feature, punch each other in the face kind of thing, or you can try to outflank them and start to nibble away at the edges. Well, if I'm if I'm in my thought experiment, if I'm Amazon, I do both, right? So I I think this is a flanking maneuver. This is kind of the all right, let's. Let's roll out a feature or you know set that says, "Hey, if you have a if you're on the Amazon marketplace, we're going to make it really easy for you to open a store." I feel like that's where this is going to go. But then at the same time, I think you would go right at them with the microservices strategy. So, and I don't think this is part of that, but I think it's you know I think at some point that's going to be another shoe to drop in this because it just feels like a little bit obvious to me that they would do that. Um, so uh, that was a really long intro. Uh, I really wanted to hear your take on what you thought about it. Yeah, I think you're wildly wrong in thinking about it wrong. <laughs> no, um, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, uh, so I, I do. I think Amazon is taking Shopify super seriously. I think Amazon's a you know a apex predator that that uh, doesn't like to have any competition, and I I think they look really long term. So I I for sure think they're they see the growth at the Shopify's of the world and say we don't like that and need to have a response. So I have. No problem imagining that Jeff Bezos is like, you know, the first person in the conference room for the Project Santos meetings to figure out what Amazon's response to to Shopify is. And I think him as executive chairman, not embroiled in day to day operations, actually makes it easier for him to focus on those kinds of projects. So I'm totally down with all that. I could easily see AWS based microservices and and super easy um web store sales uh you know tied to to the amazon marketplace um being part of that answer and in fact in my annual annual predictions i think i predicted that they would have some kind of um use fulfillment by amazon for 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 you know owned web store sales as as part of the the response to shopify um what i don't think happened though is i don't think amazon bought celts um for anything to do with Project Santos or to have some global answer to to um, Shopify, um, Seltz is a thirty five person company in Australia, and uh, my experience with Amazon is they are one of one of the biggest 
not invented here uh egocentric technology companies around like they believe they can build everything and they dissolved a healthcare partnership with Goldman Sachs and Berkshire Hathaway because those two companies were too slow. Um, so I, I sort of don't think that Amazon says, hey, we need to compete with Shopify. The way to do it is to buy the IP from these these 35 guys in Australia. Um, it just it just doesn't pencil out for me. They like Jeff Bezos would put, you know, uh, two pizza team of super smart guys and they would knock it out themselves. Um, and probably are doing that right right now as we speak. There's probably a bunch of two pizza teams working on it. I think the reason they bought Celt is because Amazon's a newer entrant into Australia um, and they're finding uh, that they're not getting adoption as quickly as they have in, in some more mature markets and that they need to, to goose their, thir- their Australian third-party sellers. And I think they acquired Celts because Celts had a bunch of Australian third-party sellers. So I think it was a, a local customer acquisition strategy in a emerging market for Amazon not part of some global strategy. And I, it wouldn't shock me at all if Jeff Bezos and uh, um, Andy Jassy and company like weren't involved in this acquisition at all. All right. Okay. We will see. Yeah. Um, and side note, I'm usually wrong. I don't think it's the, the foundation of their strategy. I think it's one of a hundred things they're going to do. Yeah. I mean, if they're, it, you know, it's going to be, be interesting a if they shock have and all. unique IP or something like that, but it just, it doesn't seem likely that they did. Yeah. Well, let's then answer this question. So you're Amazon. How do you um, either stop or, or hobble Shopify? Yeah. Well, uh, you, you leverage your platform advantage to say it's way better to get my web store platform from Amazon than it is anywhere else. And the way you do that is you say, hey, if you guys want to f- use FBA and have consolidated inventory between your web store and Amazon, um, then the way to do that is to use the you know, Amazon Web Store 2.0 based on microservices hosted on the, the greatest web service platform in the world. Um, and that if you, you launch a web store on Shopify, you're going to have to figure out fulfillment yourself or you're going to have to send some of your your um, your inventory to the the new Shopify fulfillment network. And you're still going to want to leave some some of your inventory in our fulfillment network because we have way more customers than you do. Um and they're they're just going to leverage their their network advantage to lock customers in. Uh, two years ago, I think they would have said, "Oh man, sellers should know they don't need their own website; they can just sell on our thing." But I think they've lost that battle. And the the flagship example for me is Anchor. Like to me, Anchor is one of the greatest success stories that was sort of you know um, born because of Amazon, right? Like they're a product company; they exclusively sold through Amazon. You couldn't buy direct from Anchor. You couldn't buy Anchor anywhere else. You could only buy it as a, a 3P seller on, on Amazon. And, and Anchor went public last year for a, with a $10 billion market cap um, based on that business. But guess what Anchor has today? They have a direct website. So like, if Anchor has decided that, hey, you know what? We need to own our own website in addition to selling on Amazon, then it's really hard for Amazon to credibly argue that no one else should be doing that. Um, and to me, that means... They they have to get back in the web store business, but like uh, I I bet you they do it organically. Yeah. The the other interesting thing I've thought about is, and we're gonna go through Shopify earnings in a little bit, 
So Shopify is fascinating because they actually don't make that much money off of their <laughs> um, their software as a service revenue, right? So what they do is they 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 basically they almost give away the software, and then the GMV flows through, and then they skim off the GMV. So they're essentially you know they skim off the payments, they skim off the shipping and handling, they skim off like a firm that's part of payments. Um, you know, so that so that's that's interesting because it does make it hard for Amazon to price against it, right? You, you can't, you could offer a free offering, but it's almost free as it is, you know, it, it's so, so then how do you go at the GMV flow? Could you offer the Shopify merchants a one and a half point payment plan or something like that? Or, you know, could you, because one way to look at it is Shopify is getting a lot of economic value off that GMV and not passing it on to the sellers could you build a business model? This is what Mark Laurie did with Jet. This was kind of the, the clever thing he did there, as he kind of said, "Well, I'm going to take some of this and give it back to, uh, in his example, the buyers." But but here you could give it back to the sellers. I wonder if Amazon could kind of come up with a different economic model that would would unwind Shopify's model. Yeah, uh, I mean, I for sure, um, it's not fun and not a super appealing business to be the, a long tail web store um SaaS company right like amazon was one right there was one before amazon it was yahoo web stores right and amazon launched amazon web stores and and took all the customers and i think what they discovered is that's a sucky business it's not fun like you know collecting 30 bucks a month from these small businesses you know with 50 percent churn because they go out of business and every one of them having different needs and desires and different things they want to see on your roadmap, right? So I think in 2015, Amazon just said the juice isn't worth the squeeze here. Like we're not getting any benefit from this. Let's just get out of this space. Um, and per your point, Shopify figured out the the equation to make money. It's not to, to charge more for the web store because small businesses can't afford it. And it's not to make the unit economics, you know, super lucrative for charging a little for that web store. It's, to, uh, you know, get a nice um, piece of all the GMV that flows through that web store through this whole assortment of services. And side note, that's Amazon's main model for profitability, too, right? Like, like Amazon's main um, profit driver is not consumers buying from Amazon. It's third party sellers selling on Amazon, right? And they sell $20 billion worth of ads to those third party sellers. And they sell you know, I don't know how many billions of dollars of FBA services and credit card processing services and sales tax calculation services. So Amazon's right in the middle of that that GMV stream, too. And that's the reason I think they 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 decide to get back in the web store business is that they can monetize it now with all those those incremental seller service revenue streams that they didn't have in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. um. I guess that's a good place to pause and then let's pick it back up in Shopify because um, then I'll give us some numbers to do it. Before we do that, um, let's have a little appetizer of Walmart earnings. Yeah. Uh, so they released their earnings this morning and it was interesting. Um, I read the top line numbers and I'm like, man, they had a good quarter and a good year. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, the market did not agree with me. <laughs> um, so, so from a, uh, an investor standpoint, it was a miss. Their, their earnings per share came in at 
Um, they had a big adjustment in there. They had a bunch of write-offs and stuff too. But the the gap earnings per share was one point three nine, and the consensus consensus estimates was one point five one. So they missed. Um, and then compounding that miss, their guidance for twenty twenty one was not very optimistic. And that this is a trend I think we're going to see across every retailer. Is everybody's going to say um, twenty twenty was an exceptional year because of COVID, and we're not going to comp very well against it, right? And so you know we're, we we have more COVID costs, and we're going to probably see slowing consumer sentiment in twenty twenty. Um, so combination of the miss and the low guidance. Walmart stock took a pretty good hit. I think they they closed uh, down 6.5% today. Um, so if you're an investor, that was an interesting story that I didn't totally see coming. Um, but if you just look at it from uh, how did they do as a retailer, um, their Q4 comps were up 8.6%. So Amazon's the lar- or Walmart's the largest retailer in the world, um, and they grew 8.6%, which is like more than double what you would ordinarily expect them to do, right? So that's a a fabulous quarter. And then e-commerce growth was 69%. Um, So again, that's a huge number. If the industry average is uh, 40%, if if you consider Amazon the industry average, or 25%, if you look at the U.S. Department of Commerce, 69% growth for the quarter uh, in e-commerce is great. Um, what, what wasn't so great in Q4 is their profitability. Uh, they, you know, uh, as Walmart's mix shifts to e-commerce, like they, they have challenging unit economics and profitability goes down. Um, they, they had some, they, they raised their, their labor rates last year and paid, uh, their, their associates more. They paid hazardous, hazardous duty pay and all these other, other, uh, unique COVID fees. And so, so fair enough profitability was was uh, definitely a soft spot but from a customer demand standpoint i thought they they had a great quarter um they also announced that 2021 was going to be a huge capex year for them they're expecting to spend 14 billion in a uh, a normal big year for them is like 10 billion and by the way like those 10 billion dollar years were were like from the days when they were building out a lot of super centers and so to spend $14 billion in a year when you're not going to do a lot of st- new store growth um, is a, a remarkable commitment to investment. And, and what they've said is a bunch of that investment is going to be in fulfillment and automated fulfillment and particularly grocery store micro fulfillment, which should scare Scott because that was one of my predictions um, in our, <laughs> our January show. Uh, they're making a big investment in healthcare and and services that go around retail in addition to retail, which might sound familiar if you followed the the Amazon playbook at all. Um, They also did announce that they're going to increase their average wage to $15 an hour. Um, Average being an operative word there, uh, Target and Amazon raised their minimum wage, their starting salary to $15 an hour. Walmart's still not committing to that, but they are committing to have an average wage of $15 an hour. And I want to say, which is a, a raise for like half a million folks. Um, and, uh, the, I want to say their starting salary is still like 11, 11 bucks an hour. So, so that's going to be a big expense. Um, so, and again, this was Walmart's last quarter of the year. So you can now see their full year. And so their full year, they ended up with $560 billion in revenue, um, which was up 7.7% on a constant currency basis. 
U.S. comp sales were up 8.6%, which is a phenomenal year. E-commerce for the year grew 68, 69%, or I'm sorry, 79%, 80%. Um, so that's that's a very fast growth for the second largest e-commerce site in the United States. Um, and then uh, kind of an interesting one, in 2019, e-commerce was 2.5% of Walmart sales. Now e-commerce is 6.2% of their sales. So it's, it's becoming, digital is becoming real at Walmart. Very cool. Uh, awesome. And then anything else there? No, no. Um, that, you know, it's, it's going, uh, again, uh, this is why you should take retail advice and not uh, stock investment advice from Jason. It's all about expectations. Speaking of expectations, let's talk about Shopify earnings. Did you like that transition? That was brilliant. They uh, <laughs> they actually smashed expectations. So Wall Street had them at a buck twenty eight on the EPS side, and they came in at buck fifty eight, so beat by thirty cents. But the stock went down, and I think what you had there was, um, you know, uh, a lot of runaway expectations. So there's there's the printed expectations, which is kind of analyst consensus, and then there's kind of like the quote unquote whisper number. Um, and my sense is the whisper number on Shopify, everyone was kind of like, hmm, you know, Amazon came in pretty good and so did eBay. And, you know, will they be able to continue this over 100% growth? Um, and the answer was no. So they, the, the top line grew at 94%, which was just amazing, right, for the fourth quarter. But I think people had let their expectations run away that uh, it could be higher because um, in Q3, they were at 109% and then back in Q2, 119%. So it was a pretty good step down from from those growth trajectories. That's a first world problem when your growth deceleration slows down to ninety four percent. It is, but hey, it's Wall Street. They're, they're hard to please. What have you done for me lately? Um, and then uh, we'll talk about it in a second. But I think also, you know, so in, in Wall Street, you kind of look at the print and then the the forward looking stuff. So 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 uh, you know, beat beat current, but then we'll talk about the forward projections. For the year, um, that puts them at 99%. Uh, I know that was probably frustrating to them. I hate it when numbers do that to me. <laughs> you just get that one more percent there to, to make it triple digits. Um, the revenue grew uh, on, for 2020 full year, uh, 86%, and the GMV grew 96%. Um, and then GMV for the fourth quarter was over $41 billion, and that puts them at $120 billion for 2020. So if you line that up against uh, Amazon's third-party GMV, that's about uh, 40%. Um, and I think they're they're bigger than eBay now by a good margin at that number. I think last I looked, if you take autos out of eBay, I think they're sub-100 billion still. I'll have to have one of the interns fact-check me on that. Um, and then, as we mentioned, uh, it's really interesting if you, if you take that slice of uh, revenue that they have there, um, the subs- – the, Subscription services, which is the software as a service revenue, the software licensing revenue, um, that was two hundred eighty million. Um, but then merchant services was seven hundred million. So you can get the mix there. That you know, I think it's forty sixty. So forty percent of the revenue comes from software um, revenue, and then sixty comes from quote unquote merchant services. And this is where they're essentially, um, you know, um, charging a merchant two and a half points for payment and then, uh, you know, passing through uh, two and making a half point on that GMV that flows through there. Then they make a little half point here. So they effectively have a take rate like a marketplace would, but it's against all the services and aggregate that their, their consumers, uh, that their, their business customers are using. 
Uh, and then, yep. Uh, so that merchant solutions actually grew 116%. So when you're, you know, um, which grew faster than GMV, which means their take rate went up effectively. So their, you know, um, the, their merchant solu- merchant service revenue grew faster than GMV and overall revenue. So it took share from the software side of the business and then the take rate is going up. So they're, you know, whatever mix or, or things are happening there. Um, so one of the things that I think shocked Wall Street a little bit is, you know, that they effectively said that they're going to get very serious about the U.S. distribution network um, and uh, storing and shipping things. I think they had one fulfillment center up in Canada where they've experimented with this, and it sounds like they're going to lean into it. So that's going to be interesting. Um, and then another thing that was announced around the earnings was that they are going to put their payment system on Facebook checkout. So I thought that was a little tidbit that I wanted as the payments guy, I wanted to get your feedback. Um, so yeah, so, so if we, if we tie that back to that Amazon acquisition, you know, this is definitely going to be on, you know, Amazon's radar. So their GMV is heading to half. And one way to look at it is you all are selling things into this pool of people selling online. Um, you know, now they're going to be building their own FBA competitor. So it's going to get really interesting to see what's going to happen here. And then I've I've thought it's funny the Shopify, um, and I don't know if this is a corporate policy, but they're they're social media people. They're like poking the bear at uh, at Amazon. So when when Bezos left, they did a um, kind of a na 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 goodbye kind of a thing that I thought was kind of. It was funny, but I, I, <laughs> yeah. it was definitely, you know, not, I, I'm, I'm a pretty risky kind of guy. And that was just kind of like, I was just like, oh my God, I, I, if I was the CEO, I would, that's, that was a little bit of a step too far. <laughs> so, so there's, there's definitely going to be a really interesting story this year, watching these two battle it out. And, and I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. Watch yeah. The, the blows land. Yeah, I'm hoping to launch a new um, television service, which is going to be Toby and Jeff Bezos playing StarCraft. So we'll see if, if that comes to fruition. But um, seems uh, my money would be on Toby, actually, in StarCraft. But uh, Who has the coolest hat would be even better. Oh, good point. Um, yeah, they both have discovered some interesting foyer later in life. Uh, but yeah, I mean... It's funny because I, I do I think Shopify is a phenomenal story. That growth is monumental, and the the fact that they're forty percent of uh, Amazon's third party marketplace, like that that is serious, right? And they're they're competing for the same wallet, and so they're absolutely competing for dollars. Um, and they're both well resourced to escalate the fight. So it's it's going to be exciting to watch. The thing I like I try to remind people of is that they don't actually have huge overlap in services today, right? Like what Amazon does better than anything else is they acquire eyeballs and then they they rent those eyeballs to sellers through all of these services. Um, Shopify does exactly the opposite. The one thing they don't do is bring any eyeballs to, to your product. They exclusively um, sell you a bunch of services for you to monetize the eyeballs you already have. And so... For sure, they're going to grow um, and overlap each other. And, you know, we're starting to see that with the fulfillment networks and, and various things. But um, they're, they're not starting from a uh, they're competing for the same dollars, but they're competing from two opposite ends of the service spectrum. And so it's you know, they're going to meet in the middle somewhere um, and it, it's going to be interesting to watch. But like, you know, my big takeaway from your numbers are 
Um, not only is that is that G, uh, that revenue that's tied to GMV is much bigger than the revenue that's tied to subscriptions, it's growing twice as fast, right? So it both um, they when when one of their existing customers sells more, they win. When they sign up a new customer, they win. When they find more services to sell to that same customer, they win. So that that is a nice network effect, um, and you know let you let you see what investors are seeing in this in the Shopify model. Um and you know, I, I in the back of my mind I'm hearing that soundtrack, you know, your margin is my opportunity. Uh, you know, I have a feeling uh that that Jeff and Project Santos are um not gonna sit back idly while that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um oh and another thing have, that's interesting. Good. Oh just on the shop pay thing. Um them being on Facebook isn't that interesting to me, but it what it signals is, right? So um, it's highly unlikely that there are new buyers that are going to go to um, look at the new Air Jordan shoe on Instagram and buy it because they can now pay with shop pay, right? Like, I, you know, I doubt there was anyone that said like, ooh, I really want that shoe. I'm going to buy it through Instagram checkout, but, but I'm not going to use PayPal. I'll only do it if they accept my shop pay account. Um, so I don't think it brings any new eyeballs to the those products on Instagram. Like I don't think it's a big draw. But if you already decide you want those shoes and um, you find out that checking out is going to be easier and lower friction because your payment information is already stored because they they'll accept your shop pay. I do think it can improve conversion um, for the the people that are already discovering that product. So to me, it, it's. There's, it's a smart play on Shopify's part and Facebook's part to offer it. It's probably not game-changing or super incremental um, at the moment. But what's super interesting about it to me is, as far as I know, it's the first example of ShopPay being accepted outside of the Shopify ecosystem. Um, and this is another interesting, you know, potential battleground Um you know, the one of the biggest pieces of that of that GMV revenue stream for Shopify is because, you know, they used to to outsource credit card processing to Stripe and others. And now they're they're doing it all themselves. And if Shopify is going to become a legitimate digital wallet um, and offer their payment you know method available, you know, far and wide, that that is kind of interesting. Amazon has tried to do that and hasn't had very much success because the Amazon brand is in direct competition with every other retailer. The Shopify brand really isn't, right? And so it it is interesting um, if if this first move to Facebook signifies, you know, Shopify deciding that one of their growth opportunities is is digital wallet. That is an area where I think they're strong and have a competitive advantage over Amazon. Mm-hmm. So that that could yeah, be interesting. Then, uh... Then there's been a lot of speculation. So then there's a recruiter uh, for Shopify that's very he hangs out in the the Twitter circles you and I frequent, like the DTC and and uh, kind of area and the retail and e-commerce group. And then uh, he put a really interesting listing out there, essentially saying we're building a high growth team and you need to be on the West Coast and we're looking for a lot of talent and you know, kind of from the the DN you know the, the DTC world. So um, that and a lot of other hints have me thinking, and I think was this one of my predictions that they're going to build a marketplace. So, so I feel like, I feel like they're going to go at the eyeball part of Amazon and it's going to be interesting to see how that goes for them. Yeah. Uh, 
they could. Like, I, I think I'm less optimistic that they will than you and others are. Um, they totally could. And you could interpret that job listing as, as you know, a skunk works to hire people to build that marketplace. But to be honest, like, if you look at that through a different lens, that same job listing could be for a team to help sell shop pay to, to non-Shopify merchants, right? Like, so, you know, it, it could be other things. It could be selling those fulfillment services to other merchants. It could, you know, it could be lots of things. Um, yeah, but it's DTC. No, those are all B2B. Uh, this is a consumer team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, we'll have to see. Um, again, a lot of people are speculating that they're going to do it, and they, they have the resources to try. And I'm not even saying that they will fail, but what I will say is um, that they they don't have any proof points that they can attract eyeballs. And attracting eyeballs is super hard. And so just because they've been successful in these other businesses um, does not mean that they're going to be able to create you know, the hundreds of millions of consumers um, uh, brand affinity that that they would need to to compete with an Amazon um, that that's super hard to do. It would be uh, an impressive story if they they launch and can do that. And and the day they do that, a bunch of the things that people like about them suddenly breaks. So, you know, a lot of the reasons you do business with them is is because they they don't compete with you and they don't compete for eyeballs um, and they don't claim ownership of your customer in the same way Amazon does. So as soon as you become a marketplace, you're going to start struggling, threading the needle with all of those things. So, uh, I, you know, you can imagine ways to partly do it, but, but it, uh, it could get messy. Yeah. All right. So it's going to be a really interesting 2021 with this battle of these, these two tech Titans. And, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. I admire the heck out of both companies. I'm glad they're both there. And I hope, I hope they do compete in a bunch of services and make them all better for all of us. So, um, I think, you know, as, as a non-financially in, uh, 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 observers, I think it's, it's going to be super interesting to watch. And Scott, that's probably a good place to leave it because we've taken a, a short news week and turned it into our full hour long show. Uh, as always, if you have any thoughts or questions about um, any of the topics we discussed today, you can totally hit us up on Facebook or uh, Twitter. Um, and if you found this valuable, uh, you know, if it got you excited about what's going to happen in 2021, a great way to start off the year on the right foot is to jump onto iTunes and leave us that five star review. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time to leave that review. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 